Uh, it's Easter Sunday, and uh, I wanted to start a series, and my, my plans are getting derailed. So we're going to do one of the series this week, and a couple weeks we'll do another one, and then you're going to get to hear some other people preach here over the next few weeks. Next Sunday, uh, Pastor Stephanie's bringing the message for us. So um, she's been working on something God has laid on her heart, so come back and join me as we sing and praise God and hear what the Lord has given her. Um, but for this Sunday, I wanted us to look at some of the characters in the Easter story, and particularly one this morning. Uh, there are people surrounding the story of Christ's death and resurrection who did not behave very well. I mean, leading up to this event, they really set a poor example and did things that we should not have done. And this morning, we're going to concentrate on the thief on the cross. Um, obviously, he made some bad decisions to end up there on the cross. And we're going to see in a moment that he owns that. We also see characters like Barabbas, who is um, incarcerated. He, uh, scripture tells us that Barabbas had led a revolt against the Romans, and during the revolt, he committed murder. Did not behave very well. And then we see people like Judas, who betrayed Christ, who thought, perhaps that he was just bringing about what God intended, or maybe he was just being selfish and said, you know, 30 pieces of silver is not a bad retirement account and behaved very badly. And then we have Peter, probably my favorite, because Peter said, I won't, be, I won't do that. I won't behave badly. I will stand with you. Even if they come and kill you, I'll be right there with you, Lord. And of course, we know that doesn't happen. You know, when, when everything really starts to happen, he's gone. And then when he's confronted, he goes, nah, not me. I, I have no idea who you're talking about. And, and he just lies and abandons Christ. And so we see there are people leading up to the Easter story, to the day of resurrection, who would be rather embarrassed to know that their conduct is exposed and remembered 2,000 years later. And so let's look at these guys on the cross with Christ. I have always been fascinated by this story. It is so hard to explain the story of these two thieves that are executed with Christ, because it just defies all kinds of conventional wisdom for us as people who love justice and want to see things done in the right way. And in fact, we hear these words as, as these two are hanging on either side of Christ and they are undergoing a prolonged, protracted execution, that they have a conversation. And in the conversation, we'll see this in a moment when we read a passage about this, in the conversation, the one thief says, you know what, we deserve to die for what we've done. He comes to that realization that, you know, I'm not hanging here by accident. I'm not being executed because of some huge miscarriage of justice. It's not that they got the wrong guy. I'm where I deserve to be. And then through his interaction with Jesus, 
in Christ's last moments, we see that he gets what he does not deserve. So here's what we read. It's in, uh, we're going to read about it from Luke's version, Luke chapter 23. And it's just a short passage here that I'm going to read. But they've, they've been brought with Jesus' days where two criminals, they had already planned on doing an execution, and they were on death row. These guys were already in the process, and Jesus just happened to be caught up in that because of the machinations of the Pharisees and Pilate and Judas, and there's all kinds of people who've contributed to this. And so here's where we come in at verse 39. They've, they've hung them now, and they are dying. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he, rem- then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. So we hear the words of the first thief. And, and this guy, he's hardened. I mean, this guy is tough as nails. He's been sentenced to die and he's going to go to die with a sneer on his face. And so here he's hanging, and he's, he's hanging beside Jesus, and we could spend a lot of time talking about the method of execution and how brutal it was, and I'm not going to do that, but it's taking a long time for these guys to die. In fact, we know from the story that the Jews became concerned that they weren't going to die before the Sabbath, and so they tried to accelerate their death, because usually crucifixion takes an incredibly long time, a couple of days. And so he's in the midst of this incredible torture and suffering, and he turns to Jesus and he goes, so you're the Messiah, you're the, you're the promised one, you were the one who was the hope of the Jewish people, and here you are dying next to a thief. And so if you still make that claim, prove it. Prove you're the Messiah and get us all down from here. You know, what he is really doing is he's just heaping more scorn on Christ, following the example of all the others that have done it up to this point. He's just giving more derision after other people have contributed that. So he heard the Roman soldiers make fun of him while they beat him and made a crown of thorns and tried to feed him some bitter vinegar or wine with a sponge. He's heard people down on the ground, probably some Pharisees looking up and going, yeah, not such a great rabbi now, are you? And he is chiming in with the derision that he's heard from others. And he is saying, yeah, great Messiah, here you are, right next to me. You were loved by the people. You were welcomed into Jerusalem just a few days ago. And I'm the scum of the earth. And here we are together. What do you know? 
And in this place, he pronounces this really cynical unbelief. I don't believe you're the Messiah, and I'm being sarcastic with you because I am bitter. Bitter about my life, bitter about the end of my life. There is everything inside of me is still just fighting against every form of authority I can find. And I'm guessing this guy, when they hung him on the cross, probably tried to spit on the Romans, tried to gesture people, cursed them while he was hanging there, and then says, you know, if you think you're the Messiah, just go ahead and prove it to us. And we would look at that and we'd go, what an idiot. Who would act like that? Who in the world would conduct themselves in this way? Except that we need to be reminded that oftentimes we look to God and we say, you know, Lord, if this is really who you are, if you're really the creator of the universe, if you're the almighty, if you're the risen king, Why don't you do something to prove to me who you are? And as you prove it, why don't you do it in such a way that benefits me? I mean, that's what the thief was saying. Prove it and get us all down from here. He is asking to be saved. But he doesn't really count on being saved. He is saying, I don't want to be here, but I'm here and you're here and this is what's going to happen to us. There's no sense of faith in him. There's not an ounce of belief that says, you know, this may not be turning out the way I thought it would. Instead, he's sitting here going, this is exactly how I thought it would turn out. And then, of course, the other thief pushes back against him. And and the other thief says, "Wait, wait a minute, We are getting what we deserve. We deserve to die. We're getting what we anticipated coming. We knew when we conducted ourselves this way. We knew when we went from being petty criminals to grand larceny what was going to happen. We knew from our conduct that people were going to be mad at us. They would hate us. Eventually they'd turn us into the Romans because we, were t- we went from taking their stuff to taking their livelihood, maybe even to taking a life. But Scripture just refers to them as thieves. They're just thieves. They're just low-life scum. And in this, the one thing both of the thieves acknowledge is this is the way we knew it would end up. We knew it would come to this. The trouble with our human understanding when we encounter God is we have an ability to predict outcomes. And generally, we're most right when we predict negative outcomes. When we look around and we say, yeah, this isn't going to go well, that's probably the best predictions we make. And so our tendency is to do that. We tend to look for the worst case scenarios and say that's probably the way it's going to go. If you've ever hung around somebody who had a rather melancholy disposition, somebody that was a little bit depressed by nature, who just looked around and whatever the day was like would would find the worst aspects of it, you know what I'm talking about. 
On a day like today, and we'd look outside and we'd go, man, the sun is shining. It's going to be just, you know, perfect temperature range. And they would go, and I did this this morning, but it's awfully windy out there. <laughs> I did this this morning. You know, it's the person that everybody else goes, hey, it's payday. And they go, FICA. <laughs> look what they took. You know, there's this sense of cynicism that we have that no matter how well things go, we are able to find the negative aspects very quickly and very well. We become incredible critics in life. So here's the guy, the unrepentant thief, the one who has no faith, the cynic, And there's this contrast that happens between him and the other guy. So the other guy is hanging here, and he begins to speak. And he goes, no, wait a minute. He says that we we got what we deserved. And then he goes on to say, you know, we're dying. We are in the process of being executed. We're not going to survive this. And before we breathe our last, it is going to hurt terribly and we're going to get to the point where we pray for death. And you're mocking God. Now, I got to tell you, when I read this, I had to stop for a minute and go, wait a minute. How does he equate Jesus, someone else being executed with him, someone who has succumbed to the power of the Roman machine with Almighty God? What, what did he see? What does he know? Did he, did he gather things from Jesus' reputation? And what's going on? And he goes, you're mocking God now. Don't do that. And we see in his words and in his attitude that he is just gathering some ounce, just a scratch of faith left. I may be dying and I may have been a bad, bad person and I might be here because I deserve to be here but I am not going to compound my situation by mocking this person who I think came from God so somehow this guy has some element of his Judaic religion intact and even though he's been a a career criminal he's still holding on to some kind of belief that you know what I am not going to turn on somebody who has, I see has honored God and make fun of them. So, he says, you can go ahead and answer it. (laughs) All right, I'm awake now. You're fine, you're fine. So here he has some ounce of faith. He has scratched this together. He's pulled together on the cross. And he goes, you know, I'm about to die. And the last thing I want to do is to have my last act be an act of rebellion and, and, and defiance. I don't want the last thing I do to be confirmation that I have been a terrible person my whole life. Instead, I would rather have the last thing I do be one last grasp for something honorable, good, maybe even holy. And so he says, Teacher, would you remember me when you come into paradise? 
Would you remember me today? And actually, the paradise thing comes later, and that comes from Christ. But would you remember me? What he literally says is, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so here's this sense of, I, I have done everything wrong, and I want that no longer to be the case. I get one last chance to do something that has some form of honor to it, that has some dignity to it. So I'm going to change that into a last deathbed repentance. You know, it's, it's the, the age-old story of the bad guy who in his last act does something good. It's, it's the guy that nobody could stand, but in the end, he's actually decent down inside his heart, and he tries to do something good, and people go, well, maybe he wasn't such a bad guy after all. I'm guessing there were people there on the ground that go, nice try. Nice try. We remember what you did. I would guess that there might have been some people there for the execution, not because of Jesus, but because they came to watch this guy die. You know, here's what's confusing to me. I would like to think, in my theology, the way I believe about God, that God saves us, not just to get us to heaven, but he saves us so that we would be different people here on earth and we'll have a chance to obey him and honor him and give him glory, and this guy's not going to get that. And so it's really frustrating to me that Jesus would turn to this guy and acknowledge him when you go, wait a minute, there is nothing good he can do now that would undo what he's already done. The person inside of me that, that, that screams for justice goes, nobody, too late. But Christ does not say that. And so here's, here's what Christ says. He says, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. And I've got to tell you, there's all kinds of conflict and conversation going on around this, this response of Jesus. So as we read in the New Testament that Jesus says, and, and the English translation says, goes something like this, I tell you truly, or I'm telling you the truth. Or if you're in the old King James, it says, verily I t- say to you, And usually, and Jesus does that about 70 times, is what I read. And when he says that, he's about to say something really profound and difficult and true. And so he sets it up like, pay attention, people, to what I'm about to say. He says, I'm telling you the truth. And then he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So here's the conflict, because... um, One of the things that we struggle with is Jesus says today you're going to be with me in paradise, but he's not resurrected for two more days. And so timing is an issue here. And and so when we read through the Apostles' Creed, we read that after Christ was crucified, he descended into Hades and on the third day rose again, right? That's, That's part of our Orthodox Christianity. And so we go, wait a minute, he didn't go to paradise that day. And so what we do is we argue about this because back in the Greek, the New Testament Greek, that this was written in, there's no punctuation marks. Greek has no punctuation. It's really convenient that way for those of you who are in school and you're studying grammar. 
Greek doesn't concern itself with a period at the end of the sentence and a capital letter, uppercase letter to start the next sentence. And one thing Greek certainly does not have is any commas. And so we have a problem with the comma because some people say that the comma should go right after truth. I'm really telling you the truth, comma. Today you will be with me in paradise, which has kind of been the general way that we've punctuated a, word, uh, a sentence that had no punctuation. But there are some biblical scholars who are going to, wait, 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 wait a minute. We put the comma in the wrong place. It should be, I'm telling you the truth today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. So, you know, the timing of this is iffy. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to put the comma over here so we can give Jesus some time to do what he needs to do because he's got to be in the grave for a while and he's got to do the three-day thing to make sure that, you know, he fulfills prophecy. And so I am telling you the truth today, but for the next 48 to 72 hours, buddy, it's going to be real. You think this is bad. And we've, we've made a whole thing about what Jesus intended here. And here's what I think. I think we have put the emphasis on the wrong word. The wrong part of the sentence. We had a friend when I was a kid that that he came to visit us in Africa and he had a great sense of humor and he was talking about how we use accents. And so, you know, we use accents all the time in words and so which syllable are you going to accent? And so instead of calling it Pepsi-Cola, he called it Peepsi-Cola because you put the accent on the last syllable of the word. And he went around doing this just to kind of make us laugh for a long time. And we do these things too. We use accents all the time because... We, uh, when you ask a question, what are you going to do today? You can hear the little accent go up and down. And in, in Africa, when I ask a question of some of my African friends, you always phrase a question in African by making your voice go up at the end. Mali Munike. How much money does this cost? And then they know it's a question. And here... Here we are emphasizing, I tell you the truth. Today, we put the emphasis on that word. I think we got it wrong. I think the emphasis should be on these other two words. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me. And here's the thing. I'm much more concerned with the proximity of Christ than I am with the timing. I'm much more concerned with where we stand in relationship to him than I am with, when is this going to happen? And here's the frustrating thing. God, in his wisdom, has set things in timing that we we rarely understand. God's timing never seems to work, you know, synchronized with our timing. There wasn't a point in time when Jesus said, okay, everybody look at your watch and set your watch and count it down and now, now you'll know when I'm coming again. He didn't do that. Instead he said, no one but the Father knows the appointed time. This timing thing is up for grabs. And here we have people splitting hairs on whether a comma goes here or a comma goes there when the really the important part of the sentence is, you will be with me. Now this guy over here who's made fun of me and who has mocked and his heart remains angry, he's where he's going to be. But you're going to be with me. 
And I've got to tell you, this is so inappropriate. That Jesus Christ, when he comes to the day he dies, extends his presence, extends his partnership and his companionship to a thief who's condemned to die and he knows he deserves it. And so we might feel like, you know, there should have been somebody else there with him, somebody that would have been more appropriate. Maybe Peter should have been up there. He said he would. And Peter could have been up there and they could have consoled each other and sung some hymns and things like that, maybe. But instead, he's got, you know, two thieves that can't speak an entire sentence without three curse words. And Jesus says, you're the one who's going to be with me today, with me in paradise, with me. Here's what's awfully refreshing for us. There's a distinct and graphic reminder that we're not saved. We're not welcomed into the kingdom based on our own conduct. It's not our obedience that brings us to salvation. This guy had no time to obey. There was no chance to get down off of the cross and go do some good things, give to the poor, and be nice to people who are not nice to you and love your enemy and all that stuff. He had no time left for that. All he could do is say, remember me. And in response, Jesus says, you're with me. And his response isn't that I'll try to remember you. Some of you know when you come up to me and you go, hey, next Thursday, can we do this? I'll go, I'll I'll try. Can you text me or send me an email? Can I have a reminder Jesus doesn't do that. He goes, remember, I will never forget. I will never forget. You are with me. You are with me. I've told this story before. I'm going to close with this story. When I was a teenager, I I had this uh, incredible life-changing opportunity to work with my dad. My dad, being a missionary, Um, working with people in Mozambique. We couldn't live in the country because they were in the midst of a very uh, difficult civil war. And people were starving. And so good people here in the United States raised money and sent it to my dad, and he bought food by the truckload. And so about every three to six months, I'd go with dad, and we would buy a truckload of food. And I thought it was just a great way to get out of school, because it was the only reason dad ever gave me to skip school. So he, on a couple of occasions, said, hey, if you don't want to go to school tomorrow, I'm loading up food to take it down to the border you want to go with. Yeah. Little did I know, I mean, I was 14, 13, 14 years old when this was going on. Little did I know that That also meant that I had to pick up the big bags of corn and rice and beans and load them onto the truck. So he was getting like some free labor out of it. But I got out of school, so it was like a (laughs) win-win. And so we would do this, and then we would drive. We would go in the afternoon after I got out of school. We'd load the truck, and then we'd sleep and get up really early in the morning, like 3 or 4 in the morning. And we would start driving down through the mountains, down toward the coast, down in elevation, 
to the border post. And at that time, nobody went across the border. Hardly anybody went across the border. About the only people who came across were migrant workers coming to work on the coal and the gold mines up in South Africa. So we would go through the border and, and get our passport stamped to leave South Africa, and we'd go across the little no-man's land to the passport office on the other side. And back then, there was nothing there. Some of you have been there to Rosana Garcia with me on mission trips. And now you go there today, and there's thousands of people there, and it's just chaos. But back then, it was really quiet, and there was the, the place where you had your passport stamp was the only building And then dad would go inside and he would facilitate the importation of all the stuff we brought. So he would go in and it usually took a long time because they would try to extort whatever kind of money out of him for importing these goods and he would sometimes pay for it. But my dad's pretty hard-headed and so he would sit there in hours and hours of negotiation with him trying to get this stuff in for free. And so I knew the drill when we got to the border post He would go in, I would sit outside because they wouldn't stamp our passports like we were going into Mozambique. So I would just sit outside for hours while he negotiated. Sometimes we had to wait for another truck because we couldn't let that truck go on into Mozambique. We had to unload it to the other truck and then we had to leave and go back into South Africa. So I was sitting there and I was bored to tears and it was hot and I was just waiting for something to happen and decided that I wanted to see a little bit of the village that was just down the hill. It's a bad idea. So I got up and I walked over to the edge of the parking lot and I looked down in the village and apparently I walked a little ways off the parking lot because at that point, all of a sudden, these soldiers appeared with their weapons and started yelling at me in Portuguese and, you know, I didn't understand what they were saying and quite frankly, even if I'd understood it, I probably wouldn't have been paying a whole lot of attention to that because I was just trying not to get shot. And so I stood there and I kind of froze and I said, it's okay. And I, I reached in my pocket and took out my American passport and they're yelling at me and, and other soldiers came and soon a guy came that was apparently an officer because all he had was a sidearm and he walked over and he spoke English. And it was great. So I said, hey, I'm waiting for my dad and I was just sitting here and I walked over here to the edge. I wanted to look down and he goes, no, you can't go there. Okay. And then he said this to me. He said, from now on, until your father comes back, you stay with me. And so for the rest of the afternoon, wherever this guy went around the border post, man, I was glued to his hip. And it did two things for me. One of the things was it gave me a sense of peace that nobody's going to shoot me because I'm with this guy and he's like some kind of an officer. He's important. So it gave me a, a bit of a sense of peace I'm with him. Nobody stopped me and goes, you can't go there. Wherever he went, I went. The other thing it gave me, though, not just a little bit of peace. As a, as a teenager, it gave me a little bit of confidence. I am with him. <laughs> and so we would walk into a building, and I'd go, hey, how's it going? You know? <laughs> I'd wave. Salute. And they'd look at me like, what's this white guy doing with you? But for the rest of the day, I stayed with him, and, and I had the sense that I'm, I'm going to make it okay. No matter how badly things go, if I stay with this guy, I think I'll be okay. And so I identify with this thief who goes, you know, will you remember me? And Jesus says, uh, today you're with me. 
And from there on, I, I wonder how this thief's countenance changed. I'm with him. All of a sudden, I'm no longer the guy who has a career of criminality. I'm being executed with him. All of a sudden, I'm not the bad guy everybody here thinks I am. I'm not the guy that my reputation confirms, but instead, I'm with him, and he is dying with me. And if he could be hanging here on the cross, innocent, a man of God, then maybe I can die a man of God. And so my friends, here's my prayer for us. No matter what we did last week, no matter how embarrassed you are, no matter what things are lingering, what guilt and shame hangs on you, Today, you can be with him. And that redefines everything. That changes it. So even in the midst of dying, even in the midst of deep suffering, we're with him. And in his suffering, we are like him. And so my friends, my prayer is on this Easter day, the evil, the guilt, the shame of the past gets completely revolutionized by just being brought close and being able to say, I'm with him. Band, come up and let's